Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. <laughs> well, hello there. So wonderful to see you've returned to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. I'm your shopkeeper, Chris Baker, and today we've got an interesting item to take a look at. If you look over here, it is a miniature replica of a monolith. You'll see it is black in color, uh, not quite obsidian, some strange foreign stone of some sort a very angular geographic construction. Now, this is a miniature replica of what we might find in otherworldly places. And it is at the center of a new story on Netflix. So let's pull out the mutoscope and take a look at the Witcher Blood Origin. So the Witcher Blood Origin came out in December, I believe premiere December 25th Christmas Day on Netflix and uh, it was just four episodes which we'll talk about my thoughts on that but it acts as a prequel to the Witcher series which we've we've had two seasons of that we've got a third one on the way a fourth one planned with big changes again things we'll all talk about a little bit later but this story takes place about 1200 years before the events of the Witcher and depict the events that led up to the conjunction of the spheres and that's something we've heard a lot about in the two seasons of the witcher that we've that we've seen but really don't know exactly what happened the conjunction of the spheres is what brought monsters and the race of men to this world that we find ourselves in in the Witcher series. Now, I, for one, was, was kind of excited about this. I, I love the Witcher series so far. It has its you know, it has its high points, it has its low points, but all in all, I've really enjoyed Henry Cavill. Uh, I've really enjoyed the cast. I really love the enjoyed the storytelling. Uh, some of the things they've changed a little bit from the original Andre Sapkowski source material, but I, I think they've done it in a way that still stays true to the heart of The Witcher. And they haven't changed things uh, too vastly that we're, we're not getting a good representation of those stories, or at least what is at the heart of those stories. So I've been happy with The Witcher thus far, and but I wasn't sure how I was going to feel about uh, just the way they set up this story about what we were going to see in Blood Origin. I mean, they've been promoing this for years it feels like years now uh, i believe we've got a little teaser as kind of a ps at the end of season two of the witcher and i, I just i didn't know how i was going to feel about this because i know netflix is really big into creating this witcher universe you know they've had the animated stuff they've got a prequel now they've got a couple seasons uh they've got all the making of stuff you know they want to do more things witcher because they really want this to be their big signature fantasy franchise kind of like game of thrones was for hbo kind of like what amazon's trying to do with rings of power i don't know if they're gonna do that uh, just because of what all is going on and this really felt like well, well blood origin i didn't absolutely hate it 
Uh, I didn't absolutely love it either. And I really think this was kind of a step back from the Witcher series. Where we were with the Witcher series, I think they took a lot of steps back with this prequel. And so we're going to kind of talk about that. We're going to talk about the basic premise. We're going to talk about the characters and the actors who play them and give you my overall thoughts. This is going to be full of spoilers. So if you haven't watched The Witcher Blood Origin, I encourage you to go check it out. Like I said, it's only four episodes. It's a very short, limited series. And you can you can blast through it in probably an evening if, if you want, if you're really dedicated to it or, or a weekend, what have you. But go check it out first. Or if you don't mind spoilers, then, you know, we're going to we're going to proceed. But the Witcher Blood Origin, like I said, takes place about 1,200 years before the event of The Witcher. And we have this nation or this, this world that we're living in that is divided into three elven kingdoms. And they're all at war. They've been at war for, for quite some time. I can't remember if they said they've been at war for a thousand years. Just doesn't seem practical in those times uh, to have the, the manpower and the provisions to... Uh, to have a war go on that long but you have this king of Zentrea which is the ancient version or the ancient kingdom that we see is Sintra we see this earlier version of this main kingdom that the king of this country is trying to bring the other two kings together to form this peace treaty and we find that the king's sister his mage and his general have all essentially betrayed him and are planning a coup to take over the country, unify the kingdoms through through force and fear, and all in the name of bringing the bringing the nations together to create a essentially a one world order of peace and prosperity. And as you know, with any sort of group that thinks they can take power by force and force people into peace and prosperity that never works out and doesn't work out in this. And we see the first monster brought in to this world. Now, this is a world that's primarily elves. Uh, dwarves are, are still a thing in this. Dwarves actually are the ancient race that was in power at one point and they were the center of knowledge and elves came along and essentially uh, put their boot on the back of the dwarves necks and built their empire on top of on top of that much like humans would come along later and do the same thing to elves and subjugate them and steal all their knowledge and build their nations on top of what the foundation that the elves build. So the elves in this universe are no better than the humans, <laughs> really, when you think about it. Because in The Witcher, we, we see humans subjugating elves, and elves, you know, they're trying to rise up. Uh, but elves were no better. They did the same thing to the dwarves that came before them, uh, which that was kind of an interesting aspect of this. We'll get into my thoughts on the elves being a little too much like humans, but we'll talk about that coming up. But we have this this nation that is is taken by force. It's it's pulled together by force, and it is ruled by force. It's ruled by fear. You have this mage that has this monster. You've got infighting uh, amongst the the three primary players that took over this world, and so you have a, a world in chaos right now. And the story is essentially of seven warriors that come together to 
to put an end to the suffering of elves, uh, to to put an end to the tyranny of this this coup that has taken place. And you're pretty much told as much in the very beginning because the show kicks off with Jaskier, but Joey Beatty uh, plays Jaskier, and he is in this middle of this big battle. This elf comes from out of nowhere and pulls him to this uh, other place. Of course, the elf played by Minnie Driver, and we find out later that there may be a little time traveling going on, but we have Minnie Driver telling him this story that we're about to see in Blood Origin. And she pretty much lays it all out, what we are going to see, and about the seven heroes coming together to win the realm, and and all the things that are going to happen. She wants Jaskier to write this all down and sing a song about what happened in the past that people have apparently forgotten to, to bring hope to the elves, bring hope to the people and uh, to me that all seemed a bit uh, it was a little hokey I, I have to admit I didn't I didn't really care for that aspect of it uh, I like songs in fantasy tales I like bards and things like that but when you use uh, bards in songs as like some sort of storytelling plot device I, it, it just comes across as a little like this I didn't really care that much for that uh, although I do love Joey Beatty as Jaskier they could have left all of that out and I would have been quite fine with it so I've already kind of mentioned them so we're going to talk about the the primary antagonists of this series and and where they play of course the the princess who is the sister of the king who she was a part of this coup played by uh, Mirren Mack uh, she is kind of uh, the type of character type of female character that is unassuming at the beginning she is having an affair with one of the warriors that are sworn to protect her, uh, banging him on the sly. She's kind of a book bookworm, uh, all about history and knowledge. She has a collection of books in her room, and you really don't expect much out of her. She plays the atypical uh, princess character, and she is going to be wed off to one of the other kingdoms uh, by her brother, the king, in order to seal this peace treaty. I thought Mirren Mack did a, a pretty good job with this character. There were times where you never really got the sense or really never needed to feel much uh, menace from her. Uh, but you did feel kind of that cold calculation from her. You know, the the person that was, you thought they were one thing, but you find out there's something totally different and there's a coldness to them and there's a maniacal nature to them that they're going to do things behind the scenes to, to get what they want, to get their ends. But you also get to see a transformation into that because she really starts out uh, almost being a naive pawn, but then realizes that uh, she doesn't want her fate chosen for her. She doesn't want her brother marrying her off, but she also doesn't want to be just this figurehead empress who is going to serve a purpose, and then the two men behind the scenes are going to just dispose of her once they're finished with her. She wants to uh, create her own fate, and, and it's interesting to see the character kind of go through 
through these transitions to become the character that we we find at the end, which is uh, very uh, maniacal in her own way and very cold and calculating. And I thought she did a, a pretty good job. Uh, there's another character, the commander of the Zentrean army, uh, Jacob Collins Levy plays Aridin. And I, I liked him as well. I thought he played the, I, I thought he played a good general. He played a good uh, advisor to the king. He, he played uh, a good role in this, this coup that takes place. You know, he kind of played that whole, uh, you know, double agent sort of thing quite well. I was very interested in that. The character's kind of nondescript. And, and that's the problem, I think, with a lot of these characters is that they're just very one-dimensional and there's nothing too terribly exciting about any of these characters. It's not so much the fault of the actor, but the characters just are kind of bland. But, uh, but his character plays a bigger part in the end, which we'll talk about coming up. And then, of course, the fantastic Lenny Henry uh, plays the mage, the chief druid Baylor. And he is really kind of the one spearheading this coup. He's a lowborn elf in highborn society. Uh, you never really get a good representation of that, uh, other than him just telling you that he's lowborn and the highborn will never accept him. I, that was kind of a failing in the writing, but I also think it was a failing in the amount of episodes we got, uh, which, again, I'll talk about that coming up. But I, I did like Lenny Henry. Lenny Henry brought uh, enough of the menace. He was the the antagonist in this that brought menace. He's the one that brought dread. What is he doing? What is he trying to do? What are the means that he's willing to go to to get the ends that he wants and we see right away that he's using these these monoliths that we see very prevalent in the witcher series uh in, in this we see them much more are much less weathered, much less worn down. Uh, they're they're ancient when we find them, but they're in much better shape. And he's using these monoliths to travel to other worlds, the worlds that we're going to see in this conjunction of the spheres. And he is traveling there, speaking to a ball of light that we're going to... Uh, I'll, I'll talk about what we find this out to be a little bit later. But he is seeking power from some other entity some other being and this other being is giving him monsters to help him uh get the ends that he wants as far as this coup taking place uh, this this giant monster uh he pulls from this other realm that is there and essentially lays waste to the king and and all of these other kings and so many characters that were introduced to right away and just uh, obliterates them with this lightning breath that uh eviscerates them <laughs> instantaneously it was actually kind of cool the cg uh, we'll, we'll talk about the CG a little bit later as well. But uh, the idea of the monster, how the monster attacked, uh, that was actually quite cool. And I did enjoy that. But Lenny Henry, fantastic actor. Uh, I liked him in the Rings of Power, uh, played the Sadduck Burroughs character. Uh, he, he's an excellent actor. 
Of course, he's been in, oh, geez, so many great fantasy and science fiction. Of course, he's, he's done Doctor Who. Uh, he was in The Sandman. Like I said, Rings of Power. He did some voice acting in The Prisoner of Azkaban, the Harry Potter movie. So, you know, very much steeped in fantasy and science fiction and just a, a fantastic resume of movies and, and television to his credit. So I, I really enjoyed him as part of this, especially after just seeing him in Rings of Power and playing that kind of good guy, the the leader of the Harfoot, and to see him go 180 from the good guy, the nice old man, the nice old Harfoot uh, that's leading these people and has them under his care to an evil mage that is trying to take over the world, uh, trying to get powers that are unnatural in this world. It was just, uh, I, I thought he did a really good job. And like I said, he brought the menace that we really lacked in some of the other main antagonists. So now that we got the antagonists out of the way, uh, it's time to get to the protagonists of this and this this group of seven that we we find ourselves and it just ah I, I guess that was probably one of my bigger uh, problems with this it just felt so so much like all the other things we've seen like everybody patterns themselves off of Tolkien's uh, Fellowship of the Rings everything's got to be a group of five, six, seven different characters. Each one has their own individual uh, fighting class, and it's it's like a very diverse Dungeons and Dragons group. But the first character we're introduced to from this group of heroes that we're, we're going to be following for a few episodes, Lawrence O'Furane, he is the warrior of this. He is part of the Dog Clan. He's sworn to protect the king, and he, in particular, uh, Fjall, this character, is sworn to protect the princess, who it turns out he's banging. And he gets caught, and he is disowned by his father and his clan, and banished from the kingdom. And he is just kind of out a roving warrior, doing roving warrior things. We don't really see him again until he comes across another character. But Lawrence O'Furen plays this character really well. He kind of plays the, the strong, silent type. He really plays the kind of wounded hero very well. He is a guy that really can kind of pull off. He looks like a warrior, but his performance is such that, like I said, you really get the the pain within this character that is, you know, was in love and then found out his love has uh, turned her back on the kingdom and he's conflicted there, so you get a lot of that conflict inside of him. He finds a new love and and that sort of romance that is uh, horribly built in this, but you get enough of it to really feel for him and what he does later on. I really liked Lawrence O'Furen's uh, portrayal of the Fial character, and probably, in my mind, one of the better actors and one of the better characters. One we got to to find out a little more about what makes the character tick. Uh, like so many, like I said before, so many of the characters are so one note and one dimensional that he has a, a little bit of story that we get to know about him. We get to see him uh, a 
little bit and know his backstory a little more once we finally get this group of heroes together. The other character, the other primary protagonist that we meet is Sophia Brown. She plays Ele. Uh, she's a warrior as well, but she's kind of turned her back on the warrior life as a part of the Queen's Guard of her Raven clan. And she is traveling around as a traveling musician. She's a bard, but she's a bard who can kick ass. And we get to see that right away where she has these knives or these uh, darts or daggers or whatever inside of her. I, I can't remember what kind of instrument this is, but uh, her her instrument of choice. And yeah, we get to see her rescue a, a young barmaid and get to see her kicking ass. I, the characters, I, I enjoy the character. Uh, I like bards in Dungeons and Dragons and fantasy stuff. I like bards who can kick ass. So she was quite uh, an interesting character because she was the only one other than the Fial character, the Ellie character, that you got a little backstory. We get to see her interact with her sister uh, before her sister is killed by assassins sent for her and Fial. And uh, while you don't get much emotion out of her when her sis sister dies, uh, you do have to remember that she has been estranged from her family. She's kind of been in self-imposed exile from her family because she didn't want to go the way her family wanted her to go. She didn't want to be a warrior anymore. She wanted to to give hope by spreading music. And she's kind of become this, this folk hero, this folk legend bard that goes around, you know, singing songs that inspire the people. Again, you don't really get enough of of that other than them just telling you that's what she is. But I enjoyed Sophia Brown's portrayal of the LA character. Uh, I thought she did a good job. She she portrayed the badassness of this character. Uh, she also portrayed some of the pain, some of the inner turmoil. Like I said, you don't get a big weeping scene when her sister dies, but like I said, she's been estranged from her family. Uh, she's been in self-imposed exile from her family. So, uh, and, and also, you know, she is a warrior. She was a part of the Queen's Guard. She's probably learned to control her emotions in in the face of battle. And they just got done killing a bunch of characters, uh, a bunch of bad actors. And so, uh, you know, you have to you have to look a little deeper than the what's on the surface. Yeah, me if somebody killed one of my siblings i'd be sitting there bawling like a baby but i'm also not a trained warrior i'm not a trained killer i'm not trained to uh, suppress my emotions in the face of battle in the face of imminent danger so don't put yourself in your own shoes when judging how a character acts put yourself in the shoes of the character and how they would react to a situation that they've been trained to to react to in a particular way then we get uh, a bunch of other characters that, that there again, are, are very one-note. We don't get a lot of information about them. Zach Wyatt as Sindril. He's the mage, the elf mage of this group of heroes. Uh, the actor does a fine job. Just the character is just not... It's just kind of blah, and you, you really don't get to know much about it. Hugh Novelli plays uh, Callan, who is a retired sellsword, who's tracking down Fial and L.A. and another character that we're going to be talking about. Uh, again, uh, an interesting character, another warrior type that I think if we could have got a little more backstory on him, 
Uh, it would have made the character more interesting. There again, not that he, the actor, did a bad job. Just the character was just kind of one note. There's another maid. She's kind of Sindril's celestial twin. Uh, Lizzie Ennis plays Zachary. Uh, again, not a character we learn much about. And the actress does a a fine job with what she's given. She's not given very much. Uh, there's another character. We do get to learn a little more about this character. This character is actually kind of interesting. Uh, Meldoff played by Francesca Mills. She is uh, she's a dwarf and a, a dwarf warrior. She has a war hammer that she names after a love or lover uh, that, that died. And of course she put the ashes into the head of this hammer that she forged from good dwarven ore. And she actually is an interesting character. She, she kind of plays a little, like you don't know if she's crazy. She's constantly talking to her hammer and she is kind of one of those, x-factor characters that you really don't know what they're gonna do but she's good in a battle and there again like i said one of the more interesting characters and i think francesca mills uh, did an excellent job with this character she was she was quite entertaining uh, in the bits of humor that she got to to play you got the emotion of why she is the way she is because of the the love she had for this person that has has been has been killed and taken from her and i i really enjoyed this character this is one of the characters i'd like to see in a little more of their story and then of course finally in this group of seven is michelle yo's character skin who is uh, the last member of her tribe ghost clan and she's on a mission to retrieve the blade of her people and i this is one character I thought, okay, Michelle Yeoh, she's a really good actress. Uh, I expected a lot more from this character, but the character was just kind of, eh, eh and I, I, I can't blame Michelle Yeoh because, like I said, she's an, she's an excellent actress. Just there really wasn't much to do for her. Uh, there really wasn't a, a lot of story for her other than she's a badass fighter and she's trying to get her blade and you got a little bit of wonder as to whether she was whose side she was really on but they really dispel that very quickly and you find out that she is a good guy and and then it just i don't know i i really wanted more out of this character because of the actress who was playing it and i was quite disappointed when it all came down to it which really kind of sums up my thoughts on this this four episode limited series in total, I, I was just expecting a lot and disappointed with what I got because you spent three episodes of this four episode series and you spend all that time putting this team together very quickly. And then you spend the last episode getting them to uh, Zentrea and, and saving the day. And it just all happens so quick and everything just kind of falls into place. Uh, you know, they go here and they do this and they go here and they do that and they go here and they do another thing. And it all just happens so conveniently that I'm like, really, you, you couldn't have put some twists and turns. And, and that's, I think, probably the problem with this story is that you had no source material. Uh, the thing about the Witcher TV series is that this is based uh, sometimes a little more loosely than others uh, from Andrzej uh, Sapkowski's 
books, his novels, The Witcher, uh, I think for the most part they stick. I mean, maybe it's not word for word the the stories that Andreas Sapkowski wrote, but for the most part, the novels are at the heart of this show. Sapkowski didn't write a lot about the conjunction of the spheres. He didn't write a lot about this time 1,200 years before The Witcher. Uh, when all this happened, he references it. He, he talks a little about different things and different characters, but for the most part, there is no source material for this series, Blood Origins, to be based on. So you have writers writing what they supposed happened during this time, and, and they did it in a limited number of episodes, which I think uh, worked to the detriment of this, this series. You spend three quarters of this series getting this group of, of characters together, which did you really need it? I mean, half these characters played no real part other than just being there to fight in the end, in this big finale. Uh, the only really interesting thing we got was showing you how the conjunction of the spheres happened, showing how monsters came to this world, the race of men came to this world, elves went to other worlds, and we'll talk about one in particular that, that plays a big part in the Witcher series. Uh, that was interesting to see how that happened, but it's like we rushed through a bunch of shit just to get there. And the, the other thing that was interesting is we get to see the first uh, version of a Witcher, kind of the prototype for the Witcher. Uh, and that was probably the most interesting the thing that happened there in this series. And and I did like, I mean, you saw it coming a mile away, but the LA character played by Sophia Brown, she is the one that's going to take this potion that is going to give her the power of monsters to help fight monsters, to help fight this monster that Baylor has brought into this world. And then, of course, Fial is in love with her, doesn't want her risking her life. He gets up before she does, and he takes the potion. He's going through, essentially, the trial of the grasses and becomes this prototype of the Witcher, which is vastly different from the Witchers we've seen in the series proper, The Witcher. But this is kind of like the earliest version of that. They probably went through a lot of testing, a lot of beta testing to, to work out the uh, kinks and... And come up with witchers because he fell as an elf, and witchers in the world of the Witcher are generally men. And I, I like how at one point uh, Jeskier uh, makes the comment to the mini driver character that uh, that's going to piss off Geralt that the the first Witcher or the first essentially uh, prototype of a Witcher was a, an elf uh, because elves are very much looked down upon in the world of Witcher uh, as we know it from season one and two. That was interesting seeing, you know, this this creation of the first uh, version of a Witcher. Uh, it, it added a bit of tragedy to the Fial character. It added a bit of tragedy to the LA character. Uh, I, I did like that. I like how that all played out. But it seemed we just, like, we just went through a bunch of... Uh, Hi, do you want to join our band of merry men? Yeah, come along. Hi, you want to join our band of merry men? Come along to get to that last episode where we rush to see the conjunction of the spheres and rush to see the creation of the witchers. If you wanted to see three episodes dedicated to this group forming, you needed this series to be much longer. You needed it to be 
uh, maybe six episodes or eight episodes. So you have the time to really get to know these characters, be emotionally invested in them. As it was, you were invested in maybe two possibly three characters the other ones you just didn't really give a shit about you could have set it up to where things didn't happen so conveniently for them that everything just falls in line as they're they're going along their merry way you could have paid off a little more of the betrayal between fial and merwin uh, there are just so many things you could have added and added more depth to this that could have made it a, a little more interesting than than just, like I said, one-note characters that you don't really know nor care that much about. And essentially, like I said, rushing to get to this end where we see the conjunction of the spheres and we see the first Witcher created. Now, as a fallout of this, not only do we get the first version of a Witcher, but we also find out a couple more things that really play into what we're going to see later on in the Witcher series. Uh, first and foremost, the Aridin character, played by Jacob Collins Levy, uh, he ends up going to this world, this arid world, as I've heard people describing it ad nauseum. If I have to hear the word arid world one more time, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. But at any rate, he goes there and he finds this skull and puts it on his on his head like a helmet. And we find out that he is the the elf that the that is leading the wild hunt which we saw there in season two going to be more of a protagonist in season three and another thing we learned this glowing orb this being that that Baylor is talking to is essentially the white frost now the white frost in the games and i believe the book and and as it really was kind of depicted in the Witcher season one and two was more of an event, an event and not so much a being, but this has created this to be uh, more of a being than an event that is going to happen. An apocalyptic event they've, they've turned it now into a being. And that really kind of, that, that changes a lot because Siri, who is a main character in the Witcher, who is kind of being groomed as the, the one because of her elder blood, uh, the one to stop the white frost instead of her kind of going up against this uh, this kind of metaphysical battle between her and an event it's going to be her against an actual being of sorts so uh, it's kind of, to me it's it's network involvement uh, dumbing things down to the lowest common denominator. People aren't going to be able to wrap their minds around uh, Siri battling this event, so to speak, on a more metaphysical plane. And and they got to they've got to give you something for for the the main one of the main characters to to do battle with. And I I don't know how I feel about that. It, it may work out in the end. It was interesting, though, like I said, seeing Aridin and how the, the Wild Hunt, who I think is going to be a bigger antagonist in Season 3, probably into Season 4. But the ultimate bad guy now is this White Frost. Instead of the event that is coming to, to destroy the world, it is a being that is coming to destroy the world. Again, don't know how I feel about that. It's... Like I said, it just waters things down and dumps things down for because Netflix 
uh, has proven time and again. And we're going to have a, a random curiosity about a show they just canceled. But Netflix likes to dumb things down because they assume that everybody that watches their their streaming service is a fucking idiot. That all they want to watch is docu-series about killers that nobody gave a shit about until they made a docu-series about them. And shitty reality shows and the Hallmark reject movies that they're pumping out ad nauseum. And they don't care that, you know, you're a fan of this series, you're a fan of the Sapkowski books, and you're a fan of the video games, and you know your shit about The Witcher. Uh, they want to dumb things down, so they get directors and showrunners that are willing to dumb things down for you. And I, I just, that, that has been pissing me off with Netflix a lot lately. And I think the, not only did the storytelling take a step back in this, uh, I, I think the CG really took a step back. There were, there were some green screen scenes that just looked horrible. The CG monsters were, were okay. Uh, some of the CG cities walking up to Zentrea uh, didn't, it just wasn't that great. The CG really took a step backwards and it should be getting better. And I was just not impressed with that. Like I said, the only saving grace that this series had was it had decent actors. I was quite happy with the actors for the most part. And if you're dissatisfied with a performance of a particular actor, uh, don't blame it so much on the actor. The director's got to pull a performance out. So if you don't think the performance is what it should have been, don't blame the actor. The actors, I thought the actors were all quite good. If somebody didn't give you enough emotion during a certain scene, that's that's on the director to pull that out of them. And if you don't have good directing, then you know the acting, it's like a coach coach of a football game or a hockey game or something like that players got to play but they also have to do what the coach tells them and they have to follow the game plan and and perform the game plan that the coach puts forth so i, I just uh, i i really enjoyed the acting for the most part i just think the directing may have been a little lackluster and and the writing was was not bad uh it wasn't horrible I mean, the dialogue was much better than the shit you're seeing in the Willow series, but it's still, the characters just weren't fully developed. And like I said, you had a lot of one-dimensional characters that were doing one-dimensional things, and it's just quite boring. You had too many characters. Seven's a nice number for a fellowship of, of whatever you have. And they had too many characters, too many actors uh, playing characters that just had no consequence in the bigger story. And speaking of the bigger story, uh, one of the problems I really had with this is the problem that you have with a lot of fantasy series going on right now. You had it with The Rings of Power. Uh, you had it to a greater degree with the Willow series, which we've got a couple episodes left in that. You'll hear my thoughts when that series is completed. But... You have a world here that there is no rhyme or reason to it. Uh, it's a very diverse cast, and it's a very strong female lead-centric cast. And don't get me wrong, I am all about, I, I, I like diversity in casting and horror fantasy and science fiction. I like having strong female leads. But when some of this stuff doesn't make sense, especially when you're world building, uh, you create a world of elves and there's no rhyme or reason to, uh, well, this race of elves looks this way, they dress this way, they sound this way. This other race of elves uh, looks this way, they dress another way, and they talk another 
another way. There was just no rhyme or reason to uh, which group of elves was different from the other group of elves. I mean, their leaders, uh, you had one of every color. <laughs> you had a white leader. Uh, you had a black leader. You had an Asian leader. But when it came to their their subject, I mean, it was just all kind of a mishmash. You had the Fael character who was a white man uh, talking to another black elf, which that's, that's fine, but he calls him cousin. And it just, it felt like, okay, so he's your he's your cousin? I mean, this guy was a very dark-skinned uh, black elf. And it's just like fighting racism with ignorance is what it is, is to pretend like they're not two different colors and you're pretending like there wouldn't be some cultural and familial and racial differences between these two characters. It's like we're supposed to pretend like in a fantasy world, it's nothing like the real world where people that come from certain regions look and dress and talk uh, a certain way or a certain color of skin. That doesn't mean there's not intermingling. There doesn't mean that there's not uh, people that move from one area to another. But as far as world building goes in this fantasy world, there was no rhyme or reason to it. You had a mixture of British accents, Scottish accents, Irish accents, Jesus Christ in the willow, you get all of that. And then you get American accents on top of that. There's no rhyme or reason to fantasy world building anymore. Uh, not like Peter Jackson did with Tolkien's work in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I mean, he took great pains and great uh, went to great lengths to make uh, this group of people talk a certain way. They, they dress a certain way. Uh, there's a, a regalness to the elves and his where in this, you don't get that regality at all. Not, a, not only do they fail in giving these three different elf nations their own individual identity and culture, they also do not differentiate elves between human men because in the witcher you know we're supposed to uh, believe that the elves were this high race that uh, that the humans uh, the men the world of men subjugated and in this world there's nothing high or regal or ethereal or otherworldly about these elves they just look like and act like even more so human men they just have pointy ears they keep talking about the elder blood like it's some uh, magical mystical thing but they're no better than men uh, in this world that we see in Blood Origin. And I guess maybe to a degree that's a point that's to be made that they're no different than men because they, uh, like men, subjugated the elves, the elves subjugated the dwarves before them, and, and so on and so forth. But it just, it really didn't lend itself, you know, like I said, in Tolkien's work, and you can't really compare Tolkien's work uh, to Sepkowski's work, because they're, they're two different worlds. It's two different elves are, are, are a different thing in one world and the other. But when you're when you're setting up elves to be this this line of noble blood that is supposed to be better than than humanity, to be better than man in The Witcher, and man is wrong for subjugating such a, a noble race, uh you don't make them feel noble at all. And that's one of the things I, I just didn't like about this, the world building, it was bad. You had a, a diverse cast and a cast with a lot of strong female leads 
but you did that. They, they spent more time worrying about that, worrying about looking like, hey, look at us. We're, we're woke. Look at all the social justice we're dispensing here with the Witcher Blood Origins. They spent more time focusing on that and less time focusing on a good and solid story. And that's one of those things where I'm all about diversity. I'm all about strong female leads. But when it comes at the cost of a good story, about good world building, about rational and, and thoughtful world building, uh, it, it really doesn't matter how many diverse actors you have playing these roles if the roles are shit and if the world that these characters are living in is shit. So ultimately, I am glad that The Witcher Blood Origin was a limited series because I would not have wanted to see another season of this. It was just, uh, like I said, not the worst thing I've ever seen. I didn't hate it, but I didn't love it. I didn't love it like I love The Witcher. And I'll be interested to see how they tie things in because they did introduce time travel into this with another character that we see an altered scene when when Siri is playing, uh, you know, the, whatever their version of dice is rolling the bones or what have you and in season one in one of the first episodes uh we get an altered scene where instead of looking at i can't remember if it's Geralt or who but she's looking at this other character that's obviously done a little time traveling beings that he was alive 1200 years ago it'll be interesting to see and and time travel is canon to the witcher I don't know about the book so much as the game, but time travel is a part of that. So it is canon to The Witcher. And it's be interesting to see what they do with that as they go into season three of The Witcher, which should be coming out uh, sometime this year. So ultimately, I, I was kind of middle of the road. This series, this limited series, like I said, I didn't hate it, but I didn't love it either. And a lot of things really annoyed me. Which kind of is where I'm at with the Witcher series. I'm really uh, not sure where it's going to go. We had Henry Cavill uh, announce that he is going to be leaving the series after season three. They're replacing him with Liam Hemsworth. You know, they're kind of playing this whole, well, lots of series have done quite well after a lead character has been recast. And I, I don't know what series they're watching where a lead character has been recast and it's done quite successful, unless you're talking about Dick York and Dick Sargent back in Bewitched. I, I don't know. I, I hope that, you know, they've only got what they're doing, like five seasons of this. So they will only have a couple seasons to go with, with Liam Hemsworth. I don't know how that's going to play out. I, I'm, I'm really concerned about it. Although Henry Cavill, this really has been a long time coming because they really... Uh, we're talking that he was wanting to get out, uh, from what I understand, before season two. And I, I think it really, this is just my supposition, but I really think he's a huge fan of The Witcher. He wanted to be with this for the long haul, but I don't think he likes some of the decisions that the showrunners are making with it. So I think he wanted to get out. And I think with the prospect of him being Superman again, was using that as his out. And now that the Superman thing is not going to happen, uh, I think he really has no interest in coming back. You know, they've they've given the role to Liam Hemsworth, and he's he's quite content to go on to do uh, the things that he's going to do. 
He's working on this Warhammer 40,000 series where he's going to be an ex- executive producer. Uh, he's going to be like one of the main showrunners. He's going to star in it. This really is kind of a passion project for him. So he's going to be doing that and has no interest coming back. Uh, are the fans going to reject Liam Hemsworth? I, I don't know. I'm certainly willing to give him a shot, but is that going to bring the Witcher series? Uh, you know, Netflix has no qualms about canceling shows at, at their height. So it'll be interesting to see what this does for the, Witcher universe that Netflix has been trying to build and see where we're going to go from there. I'm hoping and I'm expecting season three of The Witcher to bring us back up to a certain level of quality that we took steps back with Blood Origin. But uh, like I said, I, I'm just not sure about the fate of The Witcher with, with Henry Cavill leaving after this season uh, what we're going to get and whether the fans will accept it and whether it is going to make it to five seasons to tell this story. It'll all be interesting to see. But The Witcher Blood Origin was uh, a big step backwards for The Witcher series and one that I, I really am looking forward to The Witcher Season 3 to wash this horrible taste of Witcher Blood Origin out of my mouth. But don't take my word for it. Go check it out for yourself, The Witcher Blood Origin on Netflix. Uh, You may enjoy it. You may not be bothered by some of the things that bothered me. Uh, Like I said, I I didn't hate this limited series. I just, like I said, there were strong actors that were failed by weak characters and a weak storyline that felt rushed because they only did four episodes. And the series ultimately, this limited series ultimately was failed by showrunners that cared more about ticking boxes and showing you how woke they are uh, as opposed to showing you how much they can build a a world full of rich diversity and culture that we just never really got to see not because they didn't take the time to show it but they didn't take the time nor the care to actually execute it so go check out the witcher blood origin for yourself on netflix and uh, see what you think and i'm excited to get to witcher season three and and hopefully that will redeem the series and and then we'll see where we go from there with this but you can keep on tap of what's going on with other fantasy horror and science fiction on our facebook page with odds bodkins curiosity shop we're always posting trailers and articles to all that's going on in those genres as well as checking out our instagram page you can stay on top of things uh i'm not as vigilant and dutiful in posting on instagram but i but i try but check that out and no matter where you listen to this podcast please uh like it follow it subscribe to it download the episodes uh, and please leave a review. Five stars would be awesome, but whatever review you leave, it really helps uh, these podcast platforms with the algorithms to say, hey, people like this, you ought to share it with somebody else. And it gets those uh, podcast platforms to kind of uh, introduce people to this podcast a little more readily. And no matter where you listen to this podcast, uh, please share it as well with anyone that you know that loves horror, fantasy, and science fiction. So until next time. Thank you for visiting Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. We hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon. But even though you may come back, you never really get to leave Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. Ha 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 ha!